Good morning. My name's Chad, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you in person. I want to welcome you online, live or later. I like James's words there. It could be 10 years from now. This is what it was like in 2021. These are the things we were talking about. Um, just glad to be together. Uh, I do want to encourage you to follow up uh, with Ellen come on May 3rd. Also, you can uh, find more resources online about any of our missionaries and just a way to encourage them um, is, and God stirs our hearts that way. And we want to be encouragers, we want to connect. And so part of your gifts, when you give to Pleasant Valley Church, go to our missionaries. And Ellen's one of our missionaries. And so that's a way you are serving them. You didn't know that, but you are. Um, and I encourage you just to maybe reach out, send her a care package, connect with her and uh, let her know you're praying for her. I want to pray for us. Before I do that, I want to make note of this card, which is going to be on the way out if you would like one. We're inviting you. We asked our elders to listen to Jesus and to come up with three key areas that we wanted to pray about this year and see if maybe God would answer them. Uh, and so they're big, they're big things that we're asking for. But if you are open, we started this the week of our uh, week-long prayer event. And we want you to grab one, put it in your Bible, maybe put it on your fridge and start to ask Jesus along with us. Uh, so those will be available on the way out. I think God is already starting to answer some of these things, which is very exciting. Um, but let's pray. We'll jump in. Lord, thank you for um, the most important story in the world. Lord, thank you that uh, we get to listen and be a part of what you're doing in the world. It's exciting. And uh, Lord, I, as I was just listening, Lord, there to the bumper for the series again and thinking about how you have made sure that this story has come to our ears. It has traveled across time. Uh, Lord, this gospel story, your word tells us that it was actually a story before the foundation of the world. And Lord, that it is, it's a solid story. It's true. It's going to make it to the end. It will last forever. And so Lord, we're just thrilled to be a part of it this morning. Pray that you would connect our hearts through the gospel of Luke. Uh, thank you, God, for the privilege to be together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this morning's message is titled Streets Paved with Gold. That's a direct reference to Revelation 21. Uh, if you're a kid and you heard about heaven, you probably thought some version of golden streets, mansions, and or puffy clouds that you sat on and played a harp, right? So we have these things. Uh, a lot of the language in Revelation is symbolic, and it's symbolic because we really don't have on earth something that will accurately portray how awesome it's going to be. <laughs> okay. So we use in the, the writer of John, it was his revelation he was receiving. And so as God gave him those words, it was like, what's one of the most beautiful and awesome things that they have on earth? Gold. And everybody would agree, right? We still, it's a precious metal. Uh, it only goes up in value every year. And so, but I wanted to think about that. I wanted to start thinking in our passage is going to kind of take us there because it's going to talk about treasure in heaven today. But I started thinking about the streets. I was like, I wonder what the streets are going to be like. One of the things I always say to people is like, here, I used to sing. I do some here and there. I can sing. Uh, I can preach. When I get to heaven, probably going to get a broom. It's like the rest of you guys that didn't get to sing down here, you're going to be the one with the voice. And I'll be like, man, that's awesome. I'm just going to be sweeping. I'll just be glad to be there. 
Like the psalmist, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Just give me a seat somewhere as long as I get to be there with you, Lord. So streets paved with gold. Just wanted to get your mind thinking about eternity because that's really what Jesus is always leading us to. But let me tell you about a dream that I have. And I have this dream often. It's recurring. It's terrifying. Uh, I am in some large labyrinth of an institution, uh, an educational institution. And I always dream that it's like one of these like Oxford type places. Uh, somewhere in Oxford, there's these halls that I don't know and these pathways. And I, I'm trying to get to class. I can never get to class. But this is the problem. I'm not just late that day. I haven't been for weeks. And I'm so far behind and I'm worried, can I even pass this class? And so what I'm thinking in my dream, and this is how I'm always working, I'm always talking to somebody is maybe if I can just find this person who I know is in the class with me, they can tell me what I've missed. Maybe I can get some notes from them. They can help me out. If I could just meet with the professor, they could tell me because the whole, the angst I feel is that I'm going to fail this class. And I wake up and many times I wake up and I'm kind of in a sweat and I'm like, oh, I'm not in school. <laughs> I'm not in school anymore. But as I read this week's passage, and as I've been listening to the Lord for the things that he is teaching me, he reminded me of this dream. And I realized that there are some things that are supposed to be very basic Christian things, elementary things that I'm behind in, that I'm late to class. I can't seem to get to class. And the cool thing though, and this is what the Lord's been telling me, is like, he's like, hey, guess who your professor is? It's me. And you're okay, because I'm with you. And I'm committed to teaching you these things. And I'm committed to reminding you of these things and bringing you up to speed, but I am behind. The Lord has made it clear, I'm behind and he's catching me up. So today, here's a question, a couple of questions for you. May I tell you what he's been teaching me first? Second, would you consider learning for yourself? Listening just to hear some of the things. The reason I ask those questions is because I think if you're like me, and hopefully I'm not the only one, um, there probably will be parts of you that will be like, no, that's too hard. That's difficult, Lord. That doesn't make sense. I don't know if I want to do that. And at the end, I'm going to ask you one final question, but not yet. We're going to save that one. So if you have a copy of God's word, turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and following. And I will try to show you what is happening in class with Jesus. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want my money and I want it now. This wasn't unusual for someone to ask a rabbi to intervene in a dispute. So it's not out of the ordinary that he would say, hey, you seem to be one of authority. I think I'm going to bring my dispute to you. But Jesus said to him, man, I love that. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Ten commandments, thou shalt not covet, shalt want your neighbor's things. Thou shalt want this that you see somebody else has. 
One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. And this is classic Jesus. I'm going to tell you a story that you're going to go, uh, and then later you're going to go, ah. And that's kind of how he works. He's, he's just the master at this, where he's not so direct sometimes, seems indirect. And then all of a sudden later you're at home and it's sneaking in the back door of your heart. And you're like, how did he do that? Because he knows how. So he tells a parable and here's what he said. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. This guy's living high on the hog. He thought to himself, what should I do? I don't have anywhere to store all of my crops. I have so much stuff. I know, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I got so much stuff, I don't even have anywhere to put it. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, that caught me. It's like a hook in the story. What? Soul? Just think about that just for a moment. Not to my mind, not to my normal way of hearing and thinking and logic and kind of the way you would normally be when you're thinking through finances and stuff like that. I will say to my soul, soul, you got tons of stuff. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night you will die. Your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Other people will decide where they go. You have no more say. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So first things first, these brothers seem to have a problem, don't they? Would you say their relationship is a good one? I don't think so. <laughs> if, if you're coming to somebody else to say, not help me be in a good relationship with my brother, help me fix this dispute we have. We're not really on speaking terms. It's tell him to give me my money. Oh, so something's going on in your family, I guess, right? So something's off. Uh, the man wants Jesus to care about this. Does Jesus care about this? No. <laughs> this is a simple application right away from the text. Sometimes we want Jesus to care about something that we care about and we bring it to him. We're like, don't you care about this? I mean, look how important this is. And he's like, no, not really. Not at all, actually. But he does care about his heart. That's what you're going to see in your life too. He does care about his heart. And he says, be on guard against greed, against covetousness. Jesus would say, stuff is a potential threat to our spirituality. Luke 8, a few chapters back, the parable of the sower, God's word falls on the heart of one person and Jesus says the thorns choke it and the fruit isn't able to grow to maturity. Notice though, it does still grow a little, it's just little fruit, but not to maturity. And Jesus tells us, you wanna know what those thorns are? the pleasures, the cares, and the riches of this world. Be careful. Be on guard. That stuff you think you want, yeah, it can choke you. It will take you. It's a threat to your spirituality. Now he would tell us, and, and this is clear from scripture, wealth isn't wrong. 
It's a gift from God. Greed and covetousness is what he calls out. So you're kind of like, yep, check, got it. I won't be. Thanks, next. Jesus is like, well, not so fast. Because greed is keeping blessing from God all to yourself and not seeing that the things that he's given you are actually to be a blessing to the world, to the nations. What? I don't know if I like that. NIV application commentary, which is one I frequently use, says this, Jesus isn't condemning wealth as such, but its use. How do we use what God has given us? Do we seek to pile up treasure for ourselves? Is generosity our habit or a rare thing? Or does compassion take a back seat to our personal desires? So this guy's rich. He's so rich. He's got a storage problem. And you may think, well, I'm not rich. So this text doesn't apply to me. I'm just going to, you wake me up when you're done. I'm hungry. Not so fast. Not so fast. Don't make the mistake of thinking he's only talking about stuff and money or being successful. Jesus moves by the story, the temporal things to eternal things. How do we know that? Because he says, soul? His soul talk. He's talking to his soul. He's trying to convince his soul that he's okay. So Jesus makes a direct connection between this guy's struggle to get his money with his soul. Interesting. This got me this week, this part about speaking to your heart and to your soul. And you may have heard this phrase, and it's the one that came to my heart as I thought about this guy sitting around, thinking about all his stuff, what he was going to do with it, where he was going to store it. And it's this, you can't take it with you. You heard that? Or can you? Or can you? First Timothy 6, 7, familiar verse. We brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge, I love these words, plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Yeah. It is through this craving, listen to this, that some have wandered away from the faith altogether, pierced with many pangs. So nothing in and nothing out as far as temporal things, things that don't last. But there are some things that will survive the trip. Some things will survive the trip. Have I laid up treasure for myself or treasure for God. Philip Comfort, another author said this, hoarding money without compassionate giving is what Jesus is talking about. Regarding property is, is this mine, it's not yours. Basing security on our possessions rather than God's provisions. This is an example of spiritual poverty. If you're not rich toward God, you're spiritually poor. Being rich towards God means using that wealth and what he's given us to provide for his kingdom, his priorities. So how have I laid up treasure for myself? And this can happen not just with stuff. And this is why I tell you not to check out if you think, well, I'm not rich, this doesn't apply to me. You can lock up your heart the same way you would lock up possessions. So I wanna lock up all my money and all my stuff. I don't want anybody to touch it. I want to live and just be, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Lock it up. 
So lock up the stuff. You can also lock up your heart. And this is where the Lord was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chad, you listening? Yeah, I'm, I'm in class. I'm listening. Where you don't see anybody anymore. There are lots of ways to do this. You can be rich in stuff like money, clothes, houses, a lifestyle that insulates you and keeps you from the world. But you can also be rich in opinions and information. And if that information is more important to you than biblical truth, and sometimes that information can be disguised as biblical truth. Put a little Christian label on top of it. I mentioned it last week. Digital discipleship is happening all over the place. But if it's not from the word of God in his heart, then you can be locked up and you are laying up treasure for yourself. Your treasure may not be physical, but it's certainly valuable to you. It gives you reputation, prestige, a place in the world, but it can also keep you from the great commission and the great commandment. The great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teach them to follow Jesus, the great commandment. Who knows it? Love. One more time. Who knows the great commandment? Love. God and love others. Yeah. You store up treasure for yourself. It is so easy. It is so easy to not care about certain people. You'll come up with all kinds of good reasons. So first lesson I have learned in Jesus class over the last few weeks is that I have been rich in opinions. And that has led to caricatures of people and the needs of the world. You can throw a Christian label on it all you want and leave it to a pandemic and a very difficult election year to bring such division. I could blame it on that. Pretty easy to take sides this year, right? I bet in, in this room, more than half of you at one point were like, I'm not gonna wear a mask. And then you became the person who was like, why aren't you wearing your mask? <laughs> we did it, didn't we? All based on the stuff we learned. And then you flip back again the other way. It's, how, it's been easy to take sides. Jesus is reminding us that he doesn't take sides. He is the side. He takes over. He wants us to line up with his heart. So here's a question. Now, again, my lesson, I've been rich in opinions and my simplifying and caricatured and talking point answers and blah, 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 blah. Okay. What's in your barn? What's in your barn? <laughs> What's in your barn? Are you storing up things for you? And your barn could just be your heart. Is it closed? For whatever reason. Is it closed off? Or is it open to the things of the kingdom of God? No matter how hard they may be to pursue and navigate through political stuff, are you open? Or are you only open to a few things if they pass through your political and social filters. In other words, they line up with your preferred side and they line up with people not wanting to mess with you because you've landed in a good place. So let's just do me. If that's where I'm at, and I'd say definitely, there've been places, that's where I've been behind. My heart's been locked up. And you could say, wow, Chad, if that's how you think, you are rich in yourself. Your heart is locked up. In fact, you're quite full of it. Your stuff. Jesus is reminding us that it is his filter, not a social filter, not a political filter that matters. But I'm in class. At least I'm here. I know I'm behind. I got all this stuff to do, Lord. At least I'm here. Lord, how do we do this? How do we do this? 
Where do I start? I am anxious about things. I don't know how to navigate through all of the stuff that's happening in the world with what you're calling us to. My heart is closed off to certain things. Can you open it? Verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. He's back on birds again, but just hear him out. Ravens were a very unclean bird. So kind of gross to people. They're like, oh, I don't want to but consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds? That's good. Lord. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. Okay. Now we're on to flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Here it is. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things and your father knows that you need him, need them. God, are you sure you know what I need? It's a good question, isn't it? Because it may not be stuff, but you may be asking about a huge decision that you're hoping will go one way or another. You may be having some life choices that are happening, career, family stuff. And you could legitimately be thinking, Lord, do you really understand? I don't know if you do. So he gives us profound wisdom on how to deal with these anxious thoughts. And he says, don't. Just don't. You ever had anybody do that to you? You're like, pour out your heart. You're like really struggling. Something's going on. And it's like a sibling or a parent. And they're like, well, just don't. You're like, that is not helpful. That feels flippant. That feels like you didn't even listen to me. Well, you shouldn't though. Just shouldn't worry. What's different is this is your creator. This is the one who made you, who knows you. This is your father in heaven. So we should take him seriously, even though it's hard to do when he says, don't worry, your heavenly father knows. Can I tell you the links to which I would go and have gone at times to feed and provide for my family? There was a time uh, 10 plus years ago when I was in between ministry jobs and working all kinds of things. I sold phones, I sold windows, I delivered windows, I did video production, I worked for an architect. I did stuff, you know, just whatever would happen. And there was a time when we were out of money, like, and the pantry was empty. And you know what I did? I called my dad. I said, dad, I'm so sorry. I don't have money to buy groceries. And he's like, how much you need? If you know my dad, he's one of the most generous people you ever meet. But it, why did he do that? He's my dad. He's not going to let me go hungry. Even if I have kids and I should, you should have known better. Like he's not that, he's not going to do that. Your heavenly father knows what you need, but clearly people are still worried, right? And anxious about how these things are going to work. So when Jesus is speaking to this rich guy, who's asking him the question, you know, the majority of the crowd is made up of poor people. 
listening to him. So Jesus takes the rich person conversation who's saying, help me get my money. And he speaks to the rest of the group and this guy to say, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or drink. And he's like, I'm not, I have plenty. Jesus is turning the story and giving us kingdom principles. This was always Jesus' front door to minister to people. He never went in and looked at a poor person who was hungry or who needed healing and just was like, you're just gonna have to deal with that. I've got kingdom principles to tell you and you better get your soul right. He doesn't do that, does he? He always cares for the body and the soul. It's simple, it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy for us to forget. We just want people to just know the information, just know the truths, uh, be warm and be fed. It's another verse. Jesus is ministering to people. He cares about them. He can feed and clothe them supernaturally. We've seen him do it. Reproduced fish and loaves. So why is hunger still a problem in the world? If God can do that. Why are people without basic needs? Everybody knows the statistics that there is enough food in the world to feed the world, right? You've probably seen those, heard that talking point. It's there. And so then people kind of get into discussions and it's, well, it's because of this person and this policy and this blah, 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 blah. You know what I think Jesus is just trying to tell us? It's a heart problem. This is a heart issue. Because he goes back to talking about his creation, how he has provided for it. And you can see even looking, like if you think about the stuff we've seen with the Hubble telescope, beautiful galaxies. They're like, wow, that's amazing. Look at that. It's been how long? Thousands of years. Nobody's ever seen this. We get to see it. It's so intricate. It's so beautiful. And God's like, yeah, I know. I made it. It's been secret for a while. What's he trying to say though in his creation? What is he trying to say though? Is like, look, if I do that, I care about you. But then how is he going to care for people? How is he going to feed the poor? What is he going to do in the events of history? Remember we talked about this with the election? And if you haven't heard this one, I'm going to keep telling you. If your guy didn't win, okay, or if your guy won, no matter what happened, no matter what you think happened, the Bible tells us that God orchestrated events so that the most amount of people can hear his voice. Just sharing with high school students on Friday night, Acts 17, 26, God has arranged the boundary lines and the times and the seasons for people so that they might reach for him and possibly find him. And so as it goes with elections, so it goes when you encounter poor people and those who are in need, no matter how they got to that state, God is trying to feed people. How does he feed the world? What is the number one way that he will provide for people? It's us. It's us. As much as we can come up with all these excuses and all these different reasons of why, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. He will do it through the church primarily. He's patient with us when we disagree with him too. As I have. I remember being a little boy and being very concerned about the poor when I would see them on the street. And I would ask my dad, hey, can I give something to him, to that person? And we did different things where I'd give money. Sometimes we'd go buy food. And just as a little boy, my heart was really stirred. And then I get older 
and I help a few people. And then I remember I helped this one guy and I went and he had the classic sign, will work for food. And I was like, hey, we've actually got some stuff, whatever. And I'm saying, hey, you wanna do this? The guy's like, hey, I can make more money standing here than coming with you. And so you get a little bit like, oh, you get jaded a little bit and your heart starts to kind of turn in. And another experience with a homeless guy that I went above and beyond. And then he, I got burned on that one too. And so then you're like, well, just forget it then. And the Lord's patient though. And he stays with you and he still is intent on, because you know how this whole thing ends, by the way. Jesus comes back and not only those who have said yes to him and who've accepted his gospel, he also fixes the whole thing. This doesn't burn up. He restores it. He renews, he redeems. He sets up a kingdom on earth, heaven and earth join. No matter where you stand in your end times kind of theology, it's pretty clear that there's gonna be a kingdom. It's gonna be real. It's gonna be flesh and blood and spirit. You're not gonna be floating spirits. So God's patient. Here's what I love. Even when I missed the class, even when I closed up my heart, he finds a way to get to me. And let me tell you how he got me back in class. It involves my wife. It always does. <laughs> it just does. It's, it's her, she is a gift to me. And many times the Lord has used her to communicate something that I needed to learn. It involves some other pastors. He started to get our staff and our board. The class is actually getting a little packed, which is a good thing. But I'm just gonna tell you the process and it happened a couple of weeks ago, I got an email and I'm on a thread of emails with other free church, our denomination pastors. Um, and we share stuff like, hey, who's got this? Anybody have any help on this kind of thing? Who preached on Luke? You know, whatever. And I don't say a lot. I feel young and I like to listen and grow. And, you know, sometimes when I have said something, it's like crickets. And so I'm like, I'll just kind of listen uh, and learn. And so somebody, and usually I actually look at those emails and I'm like, bah, I don't really, I'm not really interested in that today. Email came through and the question was from another pastor to the rest, there's about 50 pastors on this email thread. And here was the question. Hey, Texas guys. Now we have a Texas guy, don't we? Brandon Ziski, if, you if you're new here, he was our pastor beforehand. He's a really good friend of mine. Hey, Texas guys, what can we do to help with the border crisis? Now I'll tell you, my heart was pretty locked up at that point. And I was like, no. Okay. But I felt a nudge from the spirit and I stayed with it. I tried to put aside my political stuff and listen and kept reading. And in the meantime, a few days before, Lisa had recommended a podcast to me. Uh, this girl named Bree Stensrud, who runs a ministry to women. It's called Women of Welcome at the Border. And so I hadn't listened yet, but I should have, but I hadn't listened yet. Um, and so here it is kind of sitting in the back of my mind and then I'm reading this email and this other pastor jumps in and one guy responded right away. He's in San Antonio. His name's Roger Pupar. He's a senior pastor there, a really good guy. I've heard him talk a lot when we get together as pastors. And he said, hey, I don't know a ton. I'll tell you here, I got some information from this guy. There are over 2,400 boys ages 11 to 14 in the Coliseum waiting. And so even if I got all my ducks in a row politically, my heart was just stirred. 
And then somebody else chimed in and said, you know what? My daughter started a ministry down to the border where she works with women. And I was like, wait a minute. And her name is Priest. I was like, shut up. Like, it's one of those things when you're like, okay, okay, okay. I'm listening, I'm listening. And so I wasn't ready to do much. I'd be honest, my heart was just, just tiny crack. But I was like, we could send money quietly. I mean, that's seriously how I was thinking. And so I was like, I'll bring it to the leadership team because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And that's how I like to pursue leadership here. And so I brought it to our senior leadership team and Sammy just lit up and he was talking about how the Lord had been moving and speaking to him recently about he had to use his Spanish. How is he gonna do that? And when I shared this, then Pastor Joe said, we need to send Sammy. I was like, what? We do, we do, we need to send Sammy. And then we brought our board in and we sent Ben Eckern, the chair of our board. We sent Pastor Sammy, we sent Jenny Hansen with her camera and her creativity and Emily Langley. One of our friends uh, doesn't go to church here anymore. They're in the cities. And we said, secret mission, go down because there's so much junk flying around from everybody's opinions. Go down and see for yourself, see for us. And so that's what we did. We sent that team within the, in the span of a week, all this stuff lined up. I'm excited to tell you more about that. That's for later though but I just wanted you to know how God got me in the class. And was I afraid of it? Yeah. And if you're closing up your heart right now, and it's understandable if you are, it's okay. Just be honest about where you are. Or if you've got your talking points lined up and you're already typing that email in your head to me. <laughs> just wait, you can send it. You can send it, but just wait. Can I encourage you just right now, will you listen to the spirit of God just a little bit more? Sit in the class. You may be late to the class. You may not even want to be the class. Your hand may be up and you're one of those people in the back that's like, I got something to say to you. It's not really a question. But let's read a few more verses because I think our professor has some answers for us. Verse 31, instead of being anxious, instead of trying to figure out how you're gonna get more stuff for you and your wrecked relationship with your brother, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not just to take care of you a little bit, to give you the kingdom. Well, how about this one right here? You ready for it? Or you just wanna close yours? You can close them, you can do it. La, 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 la. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Why did you have to say that, Jesus? Well, we can interpret that to mean something else. Or we can just read it for what it says. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves. And Jesus was okay with leaving stuff. No footnotes, no commentary, no like, hey, can you explain that a little bit? I mean, is there like some wiggle room about this whole thing? He just let it fly and knew what it would do in hearts. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Simple way in that last verse is what you care about is where your heart's gonna be. 
I remember the summer of 1994, I had just graduated from Wheaton College. I had spent weeks in Amsterdam on a mission trip. I would be moving to Charlotte, North Carolina for my first youth pastor job. And I knew I wanted to ask Lisa Michelle Sandy something very important, but I wasn't ready yet. I mean, I was ready, but my bank account wasn't ready. <laughs> to be more precise, I needed to work a lot to buy something. I needed to buy something big. My Aunt Jean provided the work and it was difficult. Her yard had more vines and leaves than any other yard in the history of yards. <laughs> but I worked and labored with a purpose. It wasn't to keep the money for me. I was ready to spend every bit on my future wife. At least I hoped she was gonna say yes. I wanted a life with Lisa. I wanted to ask her to marry me and my toil and sweat in that yard was motivated. It was the easiest work I've ever done and the most difficult work I've ever done. Why was it easy? Because I loved the person I was working for. I didn't care about anything for me. I loved that I was gonna give her this gift. I was investing in our marriage, our future marriage. It's interesting, isn't it? That when we're moved by love for someone, we don't really think about storing up for ourselves, do we? Spend it all, I'll spend it all. Why was it hard? Because it required sacrifice, cost me. This type of investing in people in things that last is what Jesus has called us to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm here to make a deposit into eternity, please. Do you have a deposit slip? What do I even write down? How do I do this? I'm, as if you saw me in my Aunt Jean's yard that day, I was dirty, sweaty, had moments of frustration, she had tons of work to do, but if you'd driven by and stopped and said, what are you doing? I would have said, I am saving up for something big. And I even remember telling people what I was doing. It's like, I'm gonna buy a ring. I'm so excited to buy the ring. <laughs> I was like, this is so hard, but I'm so excited. So this is Pastor Sammy uh, on the trip. It's just one picture. There's a lots of them. We wanna share more with you, but I just wanted you to see one because Jenny showed me this video this week and that sweet girl, um, and I don't know if that's, she seems maybe like a young mom or an older sister or something, but they were literally, it's a place called the Holding Institute. Uh, Border Patrol agents actually bring families and children there. Um, it doesn't matter, but they're coming there with paperwork. They've actually been processed. They're actually in a waiting process. That doesn't matter though, as far as our response, but I just wanted to say that because sometimes it helps. They are literally getting off buses, 50 people at a time. And our crew is standing there with just watching the holding institute do their thing. And they're literally asking them, do you know where you are? They're like, no, you're in, you're in the United States of America. And as this young girl standing in that line and Sammy was handing out a plastic bag with just a few things in it, water, just some stuff, barely anything. She is fighting tears. Cause some of them weeks, they've been traveling weeks in the desert trying to get here. And I know you're like, yeah, but what about this? And all the, all the different, 
just for now. I'm, I understand and I know how to do that too. Just for now, put it to the side. They're there and I just loved it. Sammy was telling me, he goes, I kept going around to people and I was just saying, bienvenidos, bienvenidos, welcome, welcome. Tears, people just so overwhelmed, but people, people, why are they there? Can I just give you a biblical answer? God has allowed them to be there. That's all you need to know from scripture. Does it mean we don't pursue immigration policies and things that will protect our country? Of course not. Of course we pursue those things and you should be praying. We are to pray for those who are in government positions that they would construct policies that reflect the heart of God and that reflect his justice. We need to pray for government decisions that will protect us, that will provide for things like religious liberty and caring for people. But scripture gives us a higher mandate than making policy in government or stopping at policy if it's not what we think. It, it never says, if this is happening though, then that's okay not to care for them. It never says that. It just says, care for them. And as I've started to, just to open the Bible, this should be so basic, Chad, but as I've just started to open the Bible and listen to other voices, Genesis 1:27, every human being made in the image of God to be treated as such, Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19, where God says, hey, do you see those foreigners in your midst? I'm not telling you how they got there. I'm not telling you the reasons they got there or if it was right or wrong. I'm telling you that I love them and I'm feeding them, I'm clothing them. And then verse 19 says, and I want you to love them. James 1.27, this is pure and undefiled religion that we care for orphans and widows. Are there some? Yes. Yes. Matthew 25. And if you want to go somewhere this week, and maybe before you write that email, spend a little time in Matthew 25. It's a good one because it's, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you without clothes or in prison? As much as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it to me. In our passage today, seek first his kingdom. Instead of worry, instead of thinking about us, instead of fear, instead of a closed up heart, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. It's a continual seeking and pursuing. It's not a one time thing. It's a way of life. It's a way of trusting. It's a way of obeying, a way of listening. So Jesus says with confidence, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now remember how I said, this is not just about financial stuff. You know what I heard him saying to me? In addition to that we give and we are open with our finances and our resources for the church and for other missions things. Of course we do that. But you know what the bigger thing he was telling me was, Chad, can you uh, open up your heart and sell it back to me on this issue? Can I buy it from you? I pay well. Sell your heart, give it to me. And in so doing, you will be storing up treasure in heaven. I don't wanna stand in front of Jesus one day to use his words from Matthew 25 and say, Lord, when did I see you this? With what I am seeing in front of me right now. And I would say this 
and I can't even tell you, just I know when the Lord is speaking to me and I know when he is starting to reveal things through his word and I know when his spirit is bringing conviction and I will not stand in front of him whenever that is, soon or later and say, yeah, I just didn't think that that whole thing applied there with the refugee. I mean, I know you talk about refugees all the time in the Bible, Lord. Now you talk about the poor all the time. I know you talk about, but I just kind of had worked out this thing in my head where I didn't think that's what you meant. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to listen. So what began as a story about a guy who wanted Jesus to use his authority and wisdom to help him get his money has now become a conversation about the soul, the kingdom of God, God's provision for a needy world, and him asking us to meet that need. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you're wanting to, another passage to spend some time in about your resources and giving is a great couple of chapters. And let me read this from 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. That's where we get our do good thing. To be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So as we finish, I asked you a couple of questions earlier. First, that you would let me tell you, and you did. At least nobody shouted during my message. Good job. Thank you. Second would be to consider whether or not you might learn some of these things yourself. And you may be like, I don't know. You may feel the heart cracking open a little bit, or you may be like, finally. Okay, I heard all of those today. I promise one final question, and it's this. Will you come to class with me? Will you join me in the class? And our staff and our board and others who have said yes. And is it hard? Yeah, it's difficult. Would you like to take on the challenge of studying the most difficult things? Indeed, they are advanced degrees in walking with Jesus, and yet they are also supposed to be the first things we do. Advanced and elementary. Basic. That whole become like a child thing, but it is his way. So I'm just going to leave the invitation open. I'm not the prof. I do not have an agenda. I'm not trying to convince you of a particular political stream of thought or policy. I'm asking you if you would like to learn from him. Because I think you'll see what I see. It is everywhere in here. There are over 2,000 verses about us caring for the poor and justice and the refugee and the resident alien and loving our neighbor. It's there. It is undeniable. I think you'll see what I see. These two issues, and I mentioned them last week. One is uh, this dealing with the immigrant, the refugee, those seeking asylum, the poor. The other is racial injustice. I mentioned that too. Both of them are two issues right now that Christians are like, nope, not going to do it. It's too politically charged. And you know what I hear Jesus telling me? Grab on. We're going to go there. We're going to go there and we're going to pursue the Lord's heart in this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We come to the communion table and it's a fitting picture for what this whole thing is moving towards, which is the marriage supper of the lamb, where Jesus is asking us to invite the world to know him. 
every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of God and eventually sitting down to a meal. If you want to go ahead and start crunching your, your things, that's great. Now this table is for those who have said yes to the life, death, resurrection, and eventual return of Jesus. You have asked him to apply his grace to your life. You've confessed that without him, you're nothing. You are dead in the water in your sins, but you have allowed him and accepted his gift, his sacrifice for you and been brought back to life. So that's what this is for. And I encourage you, if you aren't there, wait, but I would love to speak with you afterwards and even potentially share with you your first time of eating at the Lord's table, if you're ready to make that decision. Read a couple of verses. Uh, I read the same ones most of the time because they are treasures to me. Isaiah 53, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified, says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So several hundred years later, Jesus sat down at a Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread. After blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's partake together. He also took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Let's partake. Lord, thank you for uh, difficult lessons and things that you're teaching me. And I pray God that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you give us the grace and the courage, Lord, to move to maturity, to believe your word for what it says. It's very clear, Lord. And God, that we would know there is a path through all of the rhetoric and all of the talking points and all of the division that is a Jesus path. It's a gospel path, Lord. It is, Lord, faithful to you. It is the one we're called to. It is the most important path we can take, Lord. And we ask that you would give us the grace to do that. Lord, we remember you today. We remember your sacrifice. Remember that you poured out your life. Uh, God, would you move in our hearts as we sing together. Amen. Why don't we stand together and sing?